you have your Bibles or your phone, however you choose to, uh, to read the scripture this morning, I promise. So here's the deal, guys. I don't know if my last name is Slavich, okay? I don't know if you know what that means. That means I am Croatian, and I'm here, I am here with you instead of watching. Now, I've never been there, but I'm a quarter Croatian, but I've been my whole life told I am a Croatian. Well, I was Yugoslavian, and then now, now we're Croatian. And so uh, I promise you one thing. I will not check the score on my phone while I'm preaching if you will pretend to pay attention, okay? That's the, is that a deal? Is that a deal? Okay, good. Um, with that said, let me just check the score really quick. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm going to find my notes here. Um, Philippians 3, and we're only going to read a section of the passage, really the heart of the passage we're going to be in this morning verses 7 through 11. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just ask that you would open your word to our hearts and open our hearts to your word, that you would show us and teach us what you want us to see. Um, you know, I've prepared what I think you want me to say and prayed through it and lord i just pray that your your holy spirit would have freedom to um to edit me as needed and um that you would just work in our hearts through your word your word is living it's active it's powerful and so i just pray you would speak to us speak to your church build your church through your word this morning in jesus name we pray amen so i was going to join the band this morning i uh brought my daughter's elena of avalor guitar we bought this for her a few years ago, and I was really excited to get it for her because I played guitar since I was 12 years old, and, um, you know, it's, it's not a real guitar. And then I, I was excited until I found out um, that it's got this big button right here that plays the same three songs over and over and over. And here's how much, now this is how much I care about you, and I want you, this, this sermon illustration, I actually put new batteries in this guitar just for this morning, Okay. So this is, now I'm going to take them out as soon as the service is over so we don't have to listen to it. But there's this song, and they, oh my goodness, it's so annoying, right? And then I started listening to the words of this one song, and I think I've got it queued up. And uh, if we could make sure this mic is on. Uh, all right. So let's, all right, just listen, see if you, you may not be able to understand, see if you can listen to the words, especially the last line. So catchy, it's been in my head all weekend. Find your courage and your pride. Inner strength can be your guide. And it will always be 
I don't know, I don't know if you can hear that, but um, if I played it for you two more times, you would be singing it the rest of the day, I promise you. It's so catchy. Um, there's a lesson you cannot find in a book. Inside yourself is where you need to look. Find your courage and your pride. Inner strength can be your guide. And it will always see you through if you believe the magic within you. So not only is this guitar annoying, it's also heretical. And I'm listening to this. I'm like, my this song that is just, it just totally captures everything we hear around us. Everything we hear is that we have inside of ourselves what we need to get through life. That if we look inside of ourselves, if we put self in front of the word confidence, that we will have what we need to get through life. We're told that confidence comes from believing in ourselves, leveraging our strength, self-awareness. Look inside. That's everything you need is right there. This is what we're told. And I think, I don't know about you, but I feel, I find some truth in this. Like, I find a grain, an element of truth in this. And you probably do too. Because there have been times where I, and probably you, have had to sort of muster the internal fortitude to accomplish certain things. You've, you've realized that you are good at certain things. And, and you do have some sort of abilities, and, and you, 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 know, you do have some form of internal confidence. And so some of this resonates because some, there's an element of truth in it. But... If you're like me, you also look inside of yourself and you don't find magic all the time. If you look inside of yourself and you're like me, you find inside of you there's actually more of a mess than, than you even want to admit. That you go to look for a solution to a problem and you look inside and what you find is not a solution, but you find that you are the problem or at least part of the problem. I think if you're self-aware at all, you know that there's not just magic inside of you. You know that it's not enough. You don't have everything you need inside of yourself. And I think this fact is, is, is something we all experience, and that's why I'm super excited about what the Scripture has to say to us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 14. And what, what we're going to see in this passage is that the surprising secret of confidence is that you can't achieve confidence you can't achieve confidence by yourself but you can receive confidence from christ and then pursue christ with confidence we're going to unpack this in three steps now i realize that there are some of you this morning who are here and you may not know much about the bible maybe the bible is sort of like a foreign land to you or maybe it's, it's sort of like this mysterious you're not quite sure uh, what it's about Maybe you don't know much about it, or maybe you're just maybe you're really skeptical about it. But whatever it is, you, you, the Bible is is something that that doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And if that's you, I just want you to know that you're not in the wrong place. You're actually in the right place. Sometimes we think to go to church, we need to know about the Bible. Well, that's like saying that you need to know things before you go to school, where you where you have to take some sort of prerequisite class for the next class. Well, no, this is entry level. This is 101. And so if you don't know about the Bible, then you're in exactly the right place because this is supposed to be a school of the Bible. And so 
um, if, if, whether you're skeptical or whether you're just, maybe, maybe you're just not quite sure, I just want to invite you to just, just kind of give this, give this next few minutes a chance. Just give it a chance. Listen in and see if these things make sense. Maybe if you're really brave, even ask God, help me understand. Help me know if this is really, the, this is really what's true. On the other side, maybe you know a lot about the Bible and you're here and like you're just sort of maybe curious or you're looking for a little inspiration or maybe a little insight or maybe you're, you're just, you're, you're, maybe you're just, you're, 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 you've heard so many sermons, you're just like, it's just like going to wash right over you. I just wanted to ask you to just pause for a minute. Just pause for a minute and just say, God, what do you have for me in the next 30 minutes? Or so, and it will be about 30 minutes, no, no stress. It's not going to be a super long message, okay? What do you have for me in these next minutes, in this next little bit through your word? Because the thing is, despite everything you hear and everything you're told to believe, even by some Christian teachers, you can't achieve confidence by yourself. This is the first thing we see in verses 2 through 6, Philippians 3, 2 through 6. You can't achieve confidence by yourself. Again, this is, this is the opposite of everything we hear, and it's the opposite of our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to say that we want to look to ourselves. It's like, the, it's like, like my, my, my kids, right? My daughter, she's two years old, and I'm trying to help her with something. She says, no, me do it. No, me do it. And there's something that's really healthy about that, right? Self-sufficiency and autonomy. But there's something that goes so haywire. And there's even Christian teachers, like I said, who are teaching that this is what we, that you have all that you need and you are good enough and you have what it takes. Well, there is an element of truth in that, but there's also something that is totally, totally lacking. Things haven't changed much. You see, when Paul was writing this this letter that, that's now the book of Philippians, we call the book of Philippians, he was writing to a group of Christians in a church called Philippi. And this church was a lot like our church, this church in the making, this church that's becoming a church here, in a community that's a lot like this community. There were lots of different kinds of people. There were young people and there were old people. There were people with light skin. There were people with dark skin. There were people who spoke different languages. There were people who were Jewish and people who weren't Jewish. There were people who were really religious and people who were not as religious. And they were all clumped together in this pretty small geographic area. And a number of these people had been called out. God had gotten into their life and their lives had been changed by Jesus. And they got together and they said, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be the church together. We're going to start a church in this community called Philippi. And the church then was a lot like this church is becoming. You know, there's people in this room that are young. Some are older. There's people who are more liberal and people who are more conservative, people who are Democrats, people who are Republicans. There's people who have been in church since as long as they can remember, and there's people maybe who haven't been in church in years or maybe ever. These Christians were a lot like us, and the community they were in was a lot like this community. And what they were hearing was the same stuff we're hearing today. They were hearing people who sounded smart telling them that they had to find within themselves the confidence that they were looking for 
before God. They were, they were having people tell them that they had to obey the Jewish law in order to be pleasing to God. That they had to be circumcised like Abraham was circumcised. They had to become Jewish in order to be a Christian. And Paul tells these teachers in verse 2, watch out. And he, he has strong words for them that calls them dogs, evil workers, and mutilators of the flesh. He's not mincing words here about what he thinks of this teaching. This, this teaching sounded plausible, but it was not the whole story. Because what, what used to be the case, Paul explains, is that only Jewish people could be part of the family of God. Only Jewish people could know the Lord. That only Jewish people were chosen. And to become a part of the people of God, you had to become Jewish. But Paul's saying that things are different. Jesus has come and things are different now. Things are different. He says in verse 3, because we are the circumcision. He's talking about the church is the circumcision. The ones who worship by the Spirit of God boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. We're not saved because we obey the Ten Commandments. We're not saved because we do all of the things in the Bible God tells us to do. We're saved because Jesus obeyed the Ten Commandments. We're saved because Jesus did all that the Bible said that you should do. And then by faith in Him, we are brought into the family of God. And we're not defined by the law. We're not defined by circumcision. We're defined by faith. We're defined by Christ. There's, you know, there's a lot of ways to summarize. If I ask everyone here, what does it mean to be a Christian? Everyone, we'd probably have as many different answers as there are people in the room. But I think one really great way to define a Christian is this. A Christian is a person who does not believe in themselves. A Christian is a person who does not believe in themselves. They don't look, Christians don't look inside. They don't look in the mirror for what they need to get through life. No matter how great they might appear. So Paul, Paul says in verses 4 through 6, if anyone had the reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone could earn their place before God, if anyone had the ability to harness their internal resources and find the confidence that they're looking for, then he says, it's me. I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. And if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he says seven things. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding righteousness from the law, blameless. He's, he said, met every requirement and more. He said he climbed, you know, climbed that ladder to the top. But then he said, he realized the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. The ladder was in the wrong place. He was at the top of the ladder, but the ladder wasn't where it needed to be to get him where he needed to go. He had to climb as high as you could go. He was at the, he was, you couldn't get better. And it wasn't close. It wasn't even close to where he needed to be. And our world defines people by what they accomplish and by what they do. And, maybe, and we're tempted. I'm tempted, right? And I don't know what it is for you. We're all different, right? We all have sort of different interests. So maybe for you that is like, it's like writing a book. Like if I write a book or if I can build a business or if I can reach a certain sales benchmark or a certain level in the company or even something that's like 
like something a little, you know, less sort of like marketplace and like more like, well, if, if only I could fall in love or if only I could start a family or if only we could have a really good family. And, and here's the thing. Those are not bad things. Building a business, writing a book, being good at sales, building a family, falling in love. Those are not bad things. They're not neutral things. They're good things. The problem is that by themselves, they are not enough to give us the confidence we're looking for. By themselves, it's climbing a ladder that's leaning against the wrong wall. It's climbing a ladder that's in the wrong spot, and it's not even close to where we need to go. It's a measure of achievement that's based on the wrong scale. When Laura and I were first, uh, we first met, we went on a dinner date at a, a, a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky, where we both lived at the time. And um, we're, we're there. We'd, we'd gone to coffee, right? But that's like low, you know, bar of entry. And so it's like, now we're going to go on a dinner date. And I picked her up and, you know, brought her flowers. And we go to this, we go to this restaurant. And the, the server's talking, trying to sell us an appetizer, right? He's trying to run up the bill, so we have to tip. And he says, we have the freshest calamari in Louisville. Now, I'm from California, okay? Laura's from, from here. She's from Lighthouse Point. So you're telling us you got the freshest calamari in Kentucky. That's, and so I, did, I just couldn't help myself. I said, well, that's sort of like being the tallest kid in kindergarten, isn't it? It's just that's not – to us, that is just not – Impressive. We didn't order the calamari because calamari in Kentucky, no matter how fresh it is, is not impressive when you are from a place where you actually can get fresh seafood. And here's the point. Compared to a small group or compared to a certain sort of scale, maybe you can say, look at what I've done. But if you compare it to the standard that is actually the standard, you ain't done nothing. You're using the wrong standard. The ladder's in the wrong place. The greatest human accomplishment is like the best calamari in Kentucky. It's not even close. It's like a bad joke. If you're looking for confidence in yourself, you're going to be disappointed because it's not something you can achieve. It's not something you can achieve. But thankfully, it is something you can receive. You can receive confidence from Philippians 3, 7 through 9. Look what he says. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered loss because of Christ. I consider everything of loss to be in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. This is the passage we read at the beginning of the message. This is a total mind shift. Compared to everything, compared to Jesus, everything is junk. Compared to the Savior, everything is, the Greek word is skubala. That's the Greek word here that's, they translate it dung. Well, it's actually a, a little bit stronger than that, but they can't translate it the way it actually probably should be translated because Christians would get upset because it's basically it's a curse word. It's like a very, very coarse word for something that is really disgusting. You know, there's a lot of things my kids do that, that I think are great. So like when we were first talking about planting this church, Adeline drew a picture, and she drew a picture of a church building. And she put a little cross on the top, and she wrote Cross United on the front of it. That's so sweet. Then on the right-hand side, she wrote Toe-Away Zone. I don't, know, I don't know what that's about. It's, it's like, <laughs> apparently for her, it's like Jesus and Toe Trucks. I don't know. 
And I, tre- I, tre- I just found that picture again recently when we were cleaning up our room, and I just treasure it. But you know what I don't treasure? When my two-year-old, who's in pull-ups, is trying to say, Daddy, I poop. I don't, I don't just thank the Lord for that. I don't just say, God, aren't you incredible, Lord? Please don't fix me, right? I don't. Wh- what do I do? Baby, go see Mommy. Laura, Libby's got something for you, right? And it's like we toss it out. We don't leave it in the laundry room. We, to- we put it outside. And this is what Paul's saying. Tro- toss that scubala out. Put it out. Don't even leave it in the utility room. Put it out to the curb where it belongs. It's going to stink up the house. All of your righteousness is dung. You have to reject this false view. You can't choose to find confidence in yourself and confidence in Christ. You have to choose. Paul says he does this, he rejects the junk because he wants to gain Christ, not having a righteousness of his own from the law, but one that is through faith. Here he switches from talking about confidence to talking about righteousness. Righteousness is the perfection of God's holy character. It's the requirement God has for us as his image bearers, that if we're the ones who are supposed to look like God, then we're supposed to look like God. We're supposed to bear the image of his righteousness. We can only have confidence before God if we have righteousness from God because our own righteousness is not sufficient. And it's a binary choice. You can pick yourself or you can pick Jesus, but you can't pick both. You can't wear two uniforms at the same time. If you're LeBron, you can pick the Cavs, and you can lose to the Warriors in the finals. Or you can pick the Lakers, and you can lose to the Warriors in the playoffs. But either way, you have to choose. You can't play for two teams at the same time. You can't be Team U and Team Jesus at the same time. The bad news is our sinfulness separates us. We, don't have com- we can't have confidence in ourselves because our best is not good enough. Recently, they switched the water meter out at our house. And uh, whoever did it was not a very conscientious worker. And um, so for days afterward, every time we ran the tap or any of the water faucets in any of the, the bathrooms or filled up the tub or ran the water, there was little flecks of dirt in it. It's like, okay. Um, so what did we do? We bought water at Publix. We, we didn't drink it. It's got, it's got dirt in it. We don't know what, 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 what's... It's got dirt in it. There's something wrong at the source. And no matter how much we ran... Now, eventually, the, the illustration breaks down because we ran it, and finally, there was no dirt left. But just imagine there's an endless supply of dirt, and you just run the faucet, and it's just dirt and dirt and dirt. This is what your heart is like. It's just dirt and dirt and dirt. It may be mostly clear, but there's still enough dirt that nobody wants to drink it. And this is what God says. He requires perfection. He requires purity. And there is dirt in the water. Your best has sinfulness mixed into it. Your best is tainted. You need righteousness from another. You need righteousness from Christ. You need pure and living water. You need to go to Publix and you need to buy bottled water that doesn't have dirt in it because the dirt that's inside, you can't get out. 
You can't achieve confidence yourself, but you can receive it from Christ. And when you get this, when you get this, this changes everything. It redirects your entire purpose. It gives you a whole new perspective on what your life is supposed to be like. It's like putting in a new address into your map app and going a completely different direction. You have a completely different destination. And this is the third thing. And this is, what, this is where I really want to drive this home. You can pursue Christ with confidence. Verses 10 through 14. Look at verse 10. If all of this is true, if you cannot find confidence in yourself, but only find it in Christ, then what is the upshot? What is the bottom line? My goal is to know Him. My goal is to know, what else? If this is true, then what else matters? What else matters but knowing Him? Following Him in the pathway of death and resurrection, the cross before the crown, there is no fullness of life on this earth. There is a measure of life that we experience as a down payment, a foretaste, a guarantee, a fullness of life on the other side of the resurrection. If all that matters is knowing Him, then what is what 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 do we do? What else matters but knowing Him? Then what, we're gonna pers- we're gonna run after Him. We're gonna pursue Him. Verses 12 through 14 here in chapter 3 use this kind of this imagery of running a race. Not that I've already reached the goal. There's something still ahead of me. Jesus, though he is with me, he is still in front of me. And I'm running toward him. I'm running as fast and as hard as I can toward him. But I'm also running with him and I'm running for him. And, and if, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen all like this. That, that uh, acronym YOLO, right? You only live once. And obviously, if you're a Christian, you're like, yeah, that's not true. You only live twice, right? We get it, okay? So it's not true, but there is an element of truth in this. We live twice, but we only get one shot here. You only have one shot here. You only have one chance here to get and pursue Jesus here. And the way you pursue Jesus here is the way it has eternal effect on how you know Jesus there. How you pursue Jesus now has eternal implications for how you know Jesus then. And to be completely honest with you, to be totally 100% honest with you. Now, the reality is I've been being honest the whole time, but now I'm being really, really honest as well. And that is, this is why we're planting a church. This is the reason our family has stepped out in faith to do this. This is why others have joined in with us, is we want to know Him. We want to know Him. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to see him do what we never could have imagined that he could do. We want to sit at Starbucks and meet a random person who happens to have experience with church planning. We want to go to the mailbox and find a check that we had been praying for for months actually show up. We want to see God do what we always said we believed he could do. We want to see the Bible actually not just be words on a page, but life in our midst. We got tired. We got tired of living life on autopilot. We talk a lot about this. You know, if you're fortunate enough to buy a new Tesla, which, by the way, if you have a Tesla, I'd like to be your friend and borrow your car, um, because I will probably never own a Tesla. But Teslas come with this self-driving feature called autopilot, and that's awesome, right? Assuming Elon gets all the software right and it doesn't like crash or something, that's awesome. 
But it's really bad for you in your life to live on autopilot. Where you just sort of sit back and you relax and you just kind of coast. I don't, has anyone seen the movie WALL-E? So, like, underrated Pixar movie. So, what's happened in the movie WALL-E, so no one raised their hand, so either we're bad at participation or no one's seen the movie. So, let me set the context a little bit. Um, Earth has been destroyed, just covered with trash, right? And so, all of humanity has moved and has now lives on a giant space station out in the sky. And you see all of humanity is overweight, all right? So, okay, all right, overweight. And they all, they all float around. All they do all day is they float around, leaning back, eating snacks with this screen like in front of them as they float around in these hover, like these hover chairs around the spaceship. And everything in life is sort of on a screen, and they're just kind of coasting through. This is, this is a picture. This is what life on autopilot is, where you're just sort of coasting through and engaging life, and you're not being intentional about the way you're engaging life. Now, I know some of you are thinking, you're kidding. You're, are you kidding? My life is nuts. There's no way my life is, I'm not on autopilot. My kids are crazy. My work schedule's insane. I tried to binge watch a Netflix show, but I couldn't because I fell asleep during the first episode because I was so exhausted. And so, I mean, this is, this is the thing. This is how subtle autopilot can be. We can be like, like existentially, like, oh, what's the meaning of life? I want more. But I think more often, it's like we're going so fast and doing so much that we never slow down and live the life that God has intended us to live. Autopilot can be not just going too slow, but it can be going way so fast that you're not, that you're missing something. You're missing the intentional pursuit of knowing Jesus. You're missing the mission that Jesus has called you to live. You're missing the intimacy with him that he has promised to you if you are his. You're missing what he calls abundant life. So what's the solution? The solution is to know and to pursue Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Well, I think in our church thinks is it happens when you do three things. When you worship wholeheartedly when you engage community authentically, and when you go on mission joyfully. Wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission. This is why we're starting this church. Because we want people to experience life with God in wholehearted worship. We want people to redirect the purpose of their life to the purpose for which they were intended. We want people to engage others in deep, meaningful community and family. And we want people to realize they have a purpose in this world. When you live a life of worship, you, you begin to experience the fullness of life that, that God has intended you to live. And, and maybe you had some sort of taste of this. Maybe it was like a worship service and you sort of felt this deep connection to God. Um, I've had those moments. One time when I was, I was a, a youth leader, at a, um, at a, at, I was a, basically a youth pastor and taking these kids to camp. And there was a whole bunch of us and we're singing. And I was in college, and I was going through some stuff personally, you know, singing that old Michael W. Smith song, I'm Desperate for You. I'm desperate. And I just, it just broke me. It's, I just, I just, I, I encountered the presence of God in a way um, that I haven't often encountered it in my life. And, and, and when that type of experience is not just an emotional experience during a worship service, but an intentional action of obedience, 
And that worship is not just a Sunday thing, but a Monday through Saturday thing. And you're giving your life to the Lord, offering yourself and everything that matters to you and saying, God, it's yours. That's wholehearted worship. When my daughter was a baby, Adeline, who's now seven, I, I'm just like, I was, I just was kind of overwhelmed by this really deep fear that something would happen to her. Like, and, and I, I would go in her room and she was in her crib at night and I, I would just, I would just, I would just have this overwhelming, like, worry, like, what if, I just loved her so much and I, and one night I just realized, like, I just had to offer, to offer her to the Lord. And she's sleeping in her crib, and I just had to lift her up. Now, not literally, because I'm not an idiot, and I wanted her to stay asleep, but I had to lift her up and say, God, she is yours. She's not mine. She's yours. You love her more than I ever could. And I worshiped. When worship then gets connected to real Christian community, we begin to experience the fullness of life like God intended. There was a time after uh, Judson was born, and... Um, Laura had these really debilitating headaches, and we found out it, w- it was from the epidural. The guy who did the epidural didn't do a good job. And so she was like, we ended up in the emergency room when Judson was four days old, and they ended up doing an MRI because they were worried maybe something else was going on. And I was just, you know, overwhelmed, like exhausted, four-day-old baby, just, you know, been through so much, ups and downs. And There were no problems on the MRI, praise God, and we were able to go home, but she was just still, she was just totally out of it. I mean, she couldn't do anything. She was, unless she was laying flat on her back, her head was like in a vice. And I went to church that Sunday, and there was an 85-year-old man, a Jamaican man, a deacon at our church named Harry. And Harry stood up, and I wish I could do his accent for you, and he said, let's pray for, let's pray for Laura. We were having a meeting after church, and he prayed for her. I got home, and by 2 o'clock, she was able to sit up and eat lunch, and by the evening, she was completely, completely back to normal. And when you begin to encounter Christian community with people of different ages and ethnicities and different socioeconomic situations, and you begin to become a family together, you begin to experience life like God intended. And worship and community are, are key elements, but many t- times what people are missing, they're missing the third thing. They're missing mission. They're missing the purpose of Jesus through his church. You know, the gospel, excuse me, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. But, but listen to what the last sentence says. And I am with you, it's Matthew 28, 20, always until the end of the age. I think this implies that Jesus' presence is most unmistakably experienced on the front line of his mission to make disciples of the nations. And so what I think this means is if you want to know Christ, like Paul wanted to know Christ, then you should join his mission to make disciples. Missiologist and missionary Leslie Newbigin says there is simply no other way to be with Jesus. At the heart of mission is simply the, the, the desire to be with him and give him the service of our lives. And we're starting this church because we want to know him. We want to pursue him. We want to experience wholehearted worship, authentic community, and joyful mission. We want to help others do the same because within just a few miles of this spot, there are 
tens of thousands of people, and statistically 97% of them do not have a relationship with God through Christ. And if every one of those 97% wanted to go to church today, there wouldn't be enough seats. So part of what we're doing is we're just making more seats so that people can find the life that God has intended them to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I wonder, and then I'll be done. I wonder if pursuing Christ, if that's your ambition, if that's what you want, if you want to know him, if, if that brings your heart to life, I wonder if pursuing Christ with confidence for you might mean being one of the coworkers that we've impacted. I wonder if God is calling you to experience worship, to experience community, and to experience mission. It's his harvest, and it's his workers, and we're just part of the team. But I believe that some of you may be specific answers to this prayer. It might mean jumping in, all in, just like, hey, I'm in. You'll see these yellow cards on your seat that just says, I'm in. It might mean joining me, I'm in. That might mean I'm in, I'm, part, I'm, I'm fully in, I'm fully committed. It might mean, hey, I can help for the next six months or the next however many months for the grand opening in September and for the first few months to kind of help things get off the ground. When, when my wife had our kids, all of my illustrations today are about my kids and my wife and when they were babies. So that's just, I guess, how it's going. And so when my wife um, had our kids, there were different people in the delivery room. I was there. My mother-in-law was there. My wife was there. The baby was there. Um, and then there were like doctors and nurses and all these other people. And then there were family members in the waiting room. And there were family members in other parts of the city and other areas. And there were all these people in different locations and different places and then when the baby was born healthy, then there were doctors and nurses who would come in to our room at the hospital. And there were family and friends who would come in. Here's my point. To bring a baby into the world, you need all sorts of people. You need people who are a part of the family and you need people who are part of the family and their, the family's life and the baby's life for a specific season. So what I'm wondering is if maybe you're called to be a part of the family or maybe you're being called to be a part of the, the delivery team or the hospital team. To, to sort of help us get this thing off the ground, to get this baby into the world, to this new church birthed into the world. Uh, if you have that program that I mentioned earlier, look on the back of it, if you would, just for a minute. Um, just, just These are the commitments we're making together as Cross United Church. The first is we'll never settle for autopilot Christianity. Just to coast through, we're, that's not our goal. Our goal is to be fully intentional, to pursue and know Jesus with all that we have. If you were to join, it would be worth every minute you invest into the process. It will not always be easy, but it will always be worth it. Kids are a big priority to us. We're always going to have as the best kids programming we can possibly provide. And maybe, maybe that's something that resonates with you. Maybe that's even something you want to be a part of helping with. Fourth one. Now, here's the thing. I feel like a marketer, right? Because it's like, if you act now for a limited time only, this is actually a typo that it says a one-year commitment. That was from a previous brochure we printed. And actually what we're really looking for right now is we're looking for, to, for some folks to help us out 
through the end of the year to help this church get off the ground. And maybe that means you stay long-term and you're part of the family forever, or maybe it just means you're not leaving your church, you're not going to do that, but you're going to just help us for a few months. Um, So we're asking if you would consider committing to the launch team because we will never finally compromise our commitment to Jesus. That's all we have. We have Jesus. We have him, and that's all that we have. We have the Bible. That's all that we're going to teach. And we have the Great Commission. That's all we're going to pursue. We're going to follow him on his mission to make disciples. So I just want you to take that yellow card, and I just want you to think, and I want you to pray, and I know this, I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you, I just want to ask you a question. Sort of a crossroads sort of moment. And here's the question. If at the end of your life, If you've had a good life and a happy life and a healthy life, say it was a decent life and kind of what you're hoping for, like what I'm hoping for, I wonder if you would wonder, like I would wonder, if I ever really saw God do what I always said I believed that he could do. Did I ever see the Bible become more than words on a page, but did I ever see it lived out in a real story in front of me? What I really want is I want God to show me his glory, and I want to know Christ, and I want that for my family, I want that for our church, I want that for this community, and really, I want that for you. And so I just want to ask you to consider what it could look like for you to partner with the mission of this church, not just because of this church, not just because of one person speaking to you right now, not because of anything other than the fact that you want to know Jesus better. And so if, you, if, if you're interested, if you would just take that card and if you would just check, I'm in, and just put your contact information. I'm not going to ask you to raise it up and like come and post it up on the wall. Just drop it in the offering box at, at the back of the room. No, no stress, no high pressure. Just like just between you and the Lord, if that's what you feel like God is calling you to do. And if not, please still fill out the card with your information. We're not going to look at the cards without a checkbox and say, well, I guess we know who the real Christians are. We're not, we're not going to do that, right? Like, please still fill it out. We'd love to get connected to you and just say thank you for being here. We're glad that you're here. But I just want you to consider, is God calling you to be a part of this, to pursue Christ with confidence by being a part of what he's doing here? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Would you give us the confidence that can only come from Jesus Christ? And it's in his name we pray.